1 John chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 6. Let's go ahead and read that tonight, and then we'll pray and ask God's blessing upon it. Starting in verse 4, uh, excuse me, verse 1 of chapter 4, it says this. Dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. You must test them to see if the Spirit they have comes from God. For there are many false prophets in the world. This is how we know if they have the Spirit of God. If a person claiming to be a prophet acknowledges that Jesus Christ came in a real body, that person has the Spirit of God. But if someone claims to be a prophet and does not acknowledge the truth about Jesus, that person is not from God. Such a person has the Spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming into the world and indeed is already here. But you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. Those people belong to this world, so they speak from the world's viewpoint, and the world listens to them. But we belong to God, and those who know God listen to us, and if they do not belong to God, they do not listen to us. That is how we know if someone has the spirit of truth or the spirit of deception. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, so much just for this evening, Father, for our time of worship together, for, um, for this book that we hold in our hands, your holy word that we have to give us instruction, to give us direction for our lives, Lord. It helps us to, to live a life that, that glorifies you, Father, and, and I just pray that tonight that what we hear from it would, would do just that that it would challenge us, that it would convict us in areas that we need convicted, Father, that it would encourage us in areas that we need encouraged. God, you know our hearts. You know us each as individuals. You love us each as individuals, God. So I just pray that you would move in each one of our hearts and in our minds tonight, God, and leave, let us leave this place um, knowing more about you and looking more like you. Um, Heavenly Father, reign in our hearts, reign in this place. Let there be no distractions, but I pray that you would receive all the honor and glory and the praise tonight through what we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So guys, as we've been going over the last number of weeks, we've been going through this book of 1 John, where we've been looking at what it means to walk in the light and the love of God. Um, we have, a, as God's people, have a call to walk in God's light, and, and the best, like I said, the best uh, um, example I can come in, or what that means, I guess, is the idea that we as Christians need to walk as closely to the Lord as possible. This idea of intimate, unhindered fellowship with God, where there's nothing between us and Him. That's the call that we have as Christians. And, and to do this, um, we have to walk rightly before him, both in our lives relating to God directly as we walk according to the principles and the commands of Scripture, because as we know sin hinders that. But it's also a call to um, love one another, to, to take the the, the commands and the principles of Scripture and understand that they apply not only just to that relationship, but, but also to the relationships that we have around us. This, these are two just this interconnected principles of Scripture that cannot be separated. One can't exist without the other. It's, it's the idea that, that we can't love people rightly the way the Bible talks for us to without this relationship being right. And if we're not loving people rightly, this relationship isn't going to be right. Does that make sense? And so it, it's, it's a connected thing. It's only as this one's right with God that then we can come that conduit of, of his grace, of his love, of his mercy to the people around us. And as we do, we, we experience the goodness of God and all that comes with it. As we do, the church is strengthened. As we do, our witness becomes more powerful. And the natural result of that is people are going to be saved. 
and the church is going to grow. And so there's good reason that we as Christians have this call to walk in the light and the love of God. But as we know, um, as, um, as Scripture tells us over and over, as you probably experience in your life over and over, what, what God desires for his people, we have an enemy named Satan that wants the exact opposite of what God wants. What God wants for his people, for his church, Satan wants the exact opposite. And today, we're going to be looking at one of those schemes of Satan, where um, Satan has placed his pawns, if you will, um, for the very purpose of distracting God's people, for confusing the people of this world, to, to inhibit the good news about Jesus Christ from moving forward. I mean, that, that, that's the whole purpose of really, in my mind, what John is, is talking about here tonight with these false prophets. It's people hindering the truth about Christ, hindering the good news of the gospel. And it's so important that we have a grasp on this issue, especially in our world today. Because in our world today, I'm sure you've probably noticed that there is no shortage of opinions uh, about who Jesus really was, about what Jesus did, or, or why he came. Um, we have mainstream religions all over the world right now that um, attest to the reality of Jesus, but they deny either who the Bible says he was, the purpose for his coming, or even what he accomplished through his life and death. We, we have groups such as the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, the Muslims, all three of these acknowledge the existence of a person named Jesus, but, but none of them give Jesus the credence that he deserves. That, that he was the, the, the son of God, fully divine, fully holy, right? Never had a beginning, not created, not an angel, not just some prophet, right? They, they, they attest to those things, and they're all over our world, these three religions are, but uh, um, they don't hold the same Jesus as we do. You know, we even have secular scholars and, and TV shows that try to explain away the existence of Jesus and his miracles, if you notice that on TV, the, the History Channel and all that kind of things, you know, they, they try to explain away who Jesus was. Um, many secular institutions no longer deny that a historical figure named Jesus existed, but they do anything they can to try to deny or explain away who the Bible says he was and actually what he, he did. So it, it should come to no surprise to us that what we see today when, we come, when it comes to Jesus, uh, it's nothing new. In fact, we we see here that this is something that the church dealt with from its inception. Um, from the very beginnings of the church in the first century, um, there was this attack really on the, the very foundation of Christianity, which is the person of Jesus Christ himself and what the, he accomplished through his life and through his death. And so because this is a reality, not only then, but also clearly now as we see it all over um, our, our country, all over the world, um, we have a huge, huge need for what we're going to call tonight spiritual discernment. And this is exactly what the Apostle John is calling us to, I believe, in this passage. Now, the idea of discernment is this. It's simply the ability to judge well. Uh, it's the ability to distinguish between two or more things. It's kind of the, the basic definition of discernment, but, but we're talking about spiritual discernment. We're talking about the discernment that the Bible talks about, the, the, the discernment that we have as Christians. And so from a biblical perspective, discernment is the idea of allowing the Holy Spirit within us to show us the difference between truth and lies, between that which is of God and that which is not. And so that's kind of the idea of what we're talking about tonight, this call, this need, if you will, for spiritual 
discernment. Now, there's a number of reasons that spiritual discernment is needed in the life of a Christian, and certainly for the one that we're going to be talking about here tonight. Um, let's just look, look, I'm going to go ahead and look at verse 1 here again, where he says, Dear friends, don't believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. You must test them um, to see if the Spirit they have comes from God. As we see right there from verse 1, we have a responsibility to test what it is that we hear. Whether it be something we read, something we hear some speaker say, some claim they make of some spiritual authority, we have a responsibility as God's people to test that. And as we'll see tonight, I really believe it has to do, as we go on here, with the idea of the Spirit within us. we, We use that Spirit of God to to show us right from wrong. So he says here in verse 1 that not everybody that claims to speak for God does, but there's actually people that are false prophets in the world. So then we should ask ourselves, what is a false prophet? And I mean, the easy answer is the opposite of a true one, right? Um, but, uh, but, but to go a step beyond that, a prophet, a true prophet, is one who claims to speak a truth from God. And so a false prophet is basically a counterfeit prophet. It's one who has a claim to speak truth, but actually does the exact opposite. One um, that that claims to have godly authority, but really, in fact, is a fraud. And as we see in verse 3, such a person um, is a person who has the spirit of Antichrist. Um, again, he says the one who is, is to come but is already here. And we, we talked about this a few weeks ago in chapter 2 about this reality that there is coming someday this Antichrist that the church is, has heard about through, if you've been in the church for very long at all, you've heard of this individual that at the end times, right, the last days, he's going to come and he's going to be this world ruler that's going to lead the world astray and, and cause all this havoc and all this kind of stuff. That's true. That's coming. But there's been these people with the spirit spirit of Antichrist. When we say spirit of Antichrist, who's the spirit behind it? Satan, right? And so it's people that are manipulated, that are controlled by Satan to do his bidding, to do his work in the world. And we can see that um, it's been around since the beginning. I can assure you that it's still alive and well today. Um, 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1 tells us this, in the last times, some will turn away from the true faith, and it says they will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons, right? And so this, this is kind of what we're talking about tonight. Again, this, these people, these false teachers, false prophets, these people with really the, the spirit of Satan on them that are sent out really to deceive and to distract God's people. Now, as we think about this, a natural question maybe that, that I ask when I read this is, what is Satan's purpose in this? Uh, why does he put these pawns in the world, and not even just in the world, John says they're in the church, right? So, so why does Satan do this? What is Satan's end game? Well, from a basic point, I mean, Satan's doing what Satan is, right? He, he's a deceiver. He's a manipulator. He's, a, he's the destroyer. I mean, John chapter 8 and verse 44 says that Satan was a murderer. This is Jesus speaking. Satan was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his, his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And so it's the idea that, that Satan, this is his very nature. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. He seeks to destroy, to kill, and, and so the, the, the very basis behind what we see here, that's the intention of Satan, of why he puts these people into this world amongst people. Now, 
I, I want to just hit on this a little bit because I think it really kind of puts in context um, what we're talking about when it comes to these antichrist spirits, these false prophets, false teachers. I, I really believe we need to go kind of take a, 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 a view of Satan and his work from the beginning and work forward for a moment to see really why it is that he's doing what he's doing. And as I thought about this week, it kind of just gave me a different perspective on it. I want to talk just for a minute, just for a moment, about the, the sinister plot of Satan through the years. Now, we don't really know much about Satan's fall other than the fact that um, his first encounter with humanity, he was described as a serpent or a snake. And so his fall came before it would seem um, that, that Adam and Eve fell, right? And so Satan, his fall from grace, from heaven, came before that. We, we don't know much about it. All we know is we see him at the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3, and it says he's, he's the serpent, right? He's the snake. He's the deceiver. Um, you know, the circumstances around Satan's fall are really left up to, to speculation in a lot of ways, but what we can see from the very beginning of this world is that his goal has always been the destruction of God's most prized possession, which is who? You and me, it, it's God's people. Why? Because we were made in God's image. We were the people, humanity were the ones that were supposed to be the recipients of God's love, to have a relationship with God that was different than the angels had. And this apparently made Satan jealous. I don't know. Whatever it was, he despised humanity. And his goal from the very beginning was to destroy that relationship that God had desired between him and that prized possession, which was people. And so from the first thing we see Satan in the Garden of Eden, that, that's exactly what he's up to. Through deception, through spewing lies, through twisting God's word, he, he deceives the first man and woman there to sin and, and break that relationship with God. Now, did Satan know what he was doing? Satan knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly what God had told Adam, um, because he, he well, the things that he told him there, right? He, he knew what he told him about the tree. He knew, he knew exactly what the consequences would be had, had Adam and Eve fallen. And he did this initially, I really believe, out of simple hatred for God and God's creation. But what's interesting about Satan is that something maybe you've never considered is this. After he got man to fall into sin, his motivation quickly turned from simple hatred to self-preservation in a lot of ways. And here's what I mean. Consider Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. This was after the fall. This was God's judgment upon Satan. He says this, I'm going to cause hostility, cause hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. Many translations say between her seed and your seed. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And so from the moment of the fall, God told Satan personally and directly that his days were numbered because one of the offspring of Eve someday was going to crush his head. And so it should come to no surprise that from that moment on, Satan did all he could possibly do to destroy the, the righteous offspring of Adam and Eve. And so you think about, you know, Genesis chapter 4. You have the, the two first children, right? The, the two first children that are named anyways of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. Cain, not a good dude. Abel, the Bible describes him as the righteous Abel. Is there any question why Cain was tempted to murder his brother? Satan was out to destroy the righteous line, the righteous offspring of Adam and Eve. That one who 
the, the promise may have come through. Well, then we have Seth, right? They have another son. So the, the righteous line goes through him. And, and Satan's attacks never stop to the point where you get to Genesis chapter 6, all kinds of crazy stuff going on, to the point where it says that everybody's heart was continually evil all the time, except for Noah. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord, and God saved Noah and his wife and his three sons and their wives, right? And, and then you move forward to Abraham and think of all the stuff that, that he had. God makes this covenant with Abraham and this promise that through you all the nations are going to be blessed. So Satan's focus goes directly to him. And then to his son Isaac, and, and then to his son Jacob. And then you see Moses, and, and, the, and the narrative changes just a little bit. And, and Satan's focus moves from just one individual to a chosen nation. Right? And so we have the nation of Israel that, that, that comes in and takes their place. And, and from, you know, from, the, from the Exodus all the way to Malachi at the end of the book, we see this constant barrage of temptation and Satan leading God's people astray to the point that they're dispersed and there's barely anybody left. And, and it seems that Satan is winning. All in this attempt of self-preservation because he has to stop this righteous offspring from coming to be. Then we get to the New Testament. We get to the Gospels. We have the, the, the proclamation about the birth of Jesus. And all the, the events surrounding that, you think it's by accident that, that Herod decreed that all the babies should be murdered around? You know, I mean, no, it wasn't just an accident. Again, controlled by Satan. Through the ministry of Jesus, all the attacks that came against Jesus, Satan's whole attention, his whole focus was on stopping Jesus. Then we get to the death of Jesus. Do you think Satan maybe was behind the death of Jesus? Do you think he was the one propagating all of the lies and all the stuff with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and all these different things to the point that he could finally murder this chosen seed of God? He absolutely was. But in doing so, in thinking he finally thwarted God's plan, he instead just fast-tracked his own demise. And one thing I've often wondered about Satan is this, is that, I've just asked myself this question, is he really so self-deceived that he believes he can win? Maybe, but, but here's what I really believe. Do I, do I think he can defeat God? No. Because every move that Satan has made, God has always been one step ahead of him. No, I really believe Satan understands and knows completely that he is defeated. Because of Revelation chapter 12 and verse 12, it says that Satan knows his time is short. And so the only thing that he has left, after he crucified the, the Lord, guess what Jesus did? He rose, defeating death, defeating Satan, removing the power of Satan completely. So now, all Satan has left is to delay the inevitable. Now, now consider for a moment, if you will, Matthew chapter 4, 24 and verse 14. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it, and then the end will come. And so if the, if the spread of the true gospel message about Christ to the ends of the earth is the marker of Satan's final end, doesn't it make sense that Satan is going to do anything he can do, use any tactic he can to stop or slow down the spread of the message of Jesus Christ? Absolutely. And that really is the heart behind what we're talking about here today. 
Now, Satan has distracted Christians from spreading the message in a number of ways, and we've talked about these in, in a lot of ways. What One way is to, get, is to get Christians distracted by sin, tempting that, the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, right, that we've talked about it in chapter 2, whether it's getting people, Christians to, to sin directly or just get distracted by lesser things or whatever it is. If he can do that, guess what? The gospel is slowed. So you think it's any accident? That when it comes to us being in our Bibles, being in prayer, witnessing down the road, doing all these things, it's just major struggles. It's like this great war going on inside of our minds. Of course it's not an accident. Satan has to stop the spread of the gospel moving forward. He does this through the church, causing the church to fall into lovelessness, to fall into disunity. Hence the reason that a huge focus throughout the book of John is love one another. Because if the, if the church is in disunity, if the church is having problems, guess what's not happening? The gospel witness isn't happening, right? He's slowing down. He's delaying the inevitable. And again, when we get, as we kind of get back to our verses today, uh, another huge way that Satan can delay the inevitable is to twist the truth so that it's ineffective. To, to twist the truth or dilute the truth even about Christ and about his gospel so that the gospel itself is ineffective. Now, what's the problem with a false teaching? What's the, or a false doctrine when it comes to Jesus and his gospel? What's the problem with that? It can't save. What's Romans 1.16 tell us? For the gospel is the power unto salvation for those who believe. Romans 10 says it comes by hearing. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ, right? And so people need to hear the true Jesus, the true gospel, before a true salvation can take place. Now, this is the spirit of Antichrist is behind this, right? Um, this is just from a commentator, David Guzik, and he said this, to deny the true Jesus is the basis of the spirit of the Antichrist, which John has already mentioned in 1 John 2. It is the spirit which both opposes the true Jesus and offers, offers a substitute Jesus. And he goes on to say this, the devil doesn't care at all if you know Jesus or love Jesus or pray to Jesus as long as it's a false Jesus, a make-believe Jesus, or a Jesus who is not there and therefore cannot save. False gospels, false Christ, a message about him is a huge, huge deal. And this is why you have um, the Apostle Paul that talked a lot about false teaching, false gospel, false prophets, and, and, and warned the church against it. For instance, in, in Galatians chapter 1, listen to what he said about these false, false teaching, false uh, about Christ. And then verses 6 through 9, he says, I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through his loving mercy, um, through, the, through the loving mercy of Christ. He says, you are following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but it is not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us, or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one who preached to you, the one that was preached to you. 
I say again, we have said before, if anyone preaches any other good news than the one that you welcome, that you received at first, he's let that person be accursed. And so Paul, from the very beginnings of the church, was saying, look, this, this lie about who Christ is, about what he does, about how one comes to faith in him, is being twisted, it's being distorted, and you guys are grabbing onto it because whether it was easier or whatever it was, but he was saying that is a gospel that cannot save. Because unless it's the true Christ and the true message of the gospel, salvation cannot result from it. So the big problem with false teaching and these antichrist people is they undermine the work of Jesus. You know, even in the first churches, Satan already had put his pawns into place to, to propagate these false teachings. And then some um, of these were kind of like this right now. Some people like Todd, like you, I think in Acts chapter 7, 8, 9, somewhere in there, um, there was this um, dispute among the Christians about um, there was some that said that somebody had to convert to Judaism first before they could come to faith in Christ, right? False gospel. Uh, there, there was some that um, taught that Jesus was a man, but he wasn't God. The Spirit of God may have empowered him, but he was just a man like you and me. Again, a, a different Jesus. Clearly a different gospel. And in the case of today's verses, another lie that was in full swing in the church was that Jesus wasn't a man at all. The, the teaching that was going on at this particular time was that Jesus wasn't human. Yes, they believed he was you know, of God or whatever it was, but they don't believe he was flesh and blood like you and me. Well, what's the problem with that? It completely undermines the work of Christ. If Christ wasn't fully God and fully man, there's a big, big problem with the message of the gospel. So there are many, even today, there's been scads of people throughout the centuries that have put their faith in, in Jesus as an angelic being or Jesus as a man or a prophet, Jesus as merely being a, a spiritual being only. But again, the problem with that is people who believe those messages are absolutely deceived. These people go through life thinking they're on their way to paradise and don't realize that they've been duped into believing the greatest lie ever. And Satan's strategy, I mean, it's, it's simple, but it's effective. Confuse, distort, twist God's word. Why? To delay the inevitable. If he can stop the true gospel from going out to the nations, his time gets extended. Now, because of this, from what we can see in these verses, it wasn't um, it was something to understand. It, it's, um, it, he says here that it wasn't just the people on the outside of the churches that were being duped. It was Satan had his pawns inside of the church as well. And so what we see here in verse 1, he tells us again, don't believe every spirit who claims to, to speak by their spirit. But he says, but you, who's the you there? It's us, right? You must test them to see if they come from God. Which means that we as Christians have a responsibility to test everything that we see, everything that we hear. We can't just take it at face value, including me. I mean, I, I will tell you that I, from my heart of hearts, try to speak the truth of God's word as plainly and clearly as I can without error. 
but you have the responsibility to test everything that comes from my mouth. 1 Thessalonians 5, 21 and 22 says, Test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from that which is evil. So then comes the question, if we have this responsibility, if Satan's clear, he clearly has this sinister agenda to destroy God's people, to stop the, the spread of the gospel, to, to delay the inevitable, that means it's our job to make sure that the inevitable happens a lot quicker. <laughs> right? I mean, won't it be great when that being is finally where he belongs? And we don't have to deal with him anymore? Guess whose responsibility is to quicken that? That would be us as Christians. And one way we do that is, is by testing what we're hearing. So the question is, is how? And I want to I kind of talk about for a few moments here the importance of knowing the truth. So one question we should ask is, how are people so easily deceived by the lies of Satan and his pawns? Well, we'll look at verse 5 here for a second. Five, verse 5 is interesting. He says, those people who belong to the world... Those, those, those people, so he's speaking of the false prophets, those people belong to the world, so they speak from the world's viewpoint, and the world listens to them. Why are people so easily deceived when it comes to these lies that sound good, and people just grab onto them? Why? I mean, think about this. Why is it that when the true gospel is shared with somebody, the natural response for almost all of them, they go, I just don't know about that. I just don't want that. I don't think so. And yet, a, a similar message that is, is twisted and distorted, people flock to. Why? Because Satan's subtle. And if he can get people to believe a lie and hold on to a lie and think they're on their way to heaven when he knows they're not, guess what? He's winning major, major victories. Look at, listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4. He says, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the mind of those who don't believe. They're unable to, they are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ. And that, that, that's, that's who they are. These people are on the outside looking in. But So if, if we're supposed to test what is true, how do we do that? By the truth. So then the natural question comes is, what is truth? Well, Jesus answered this for us. Aren't you glad? John chapter 17 and verse 17. This is what Jesus says. He's speaking to his Father in prayer, and he says, Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. The, the defense against the lie is the truth. And the truth is found, Jesus said, from his own mouth in the word of God. And so if we want to know the truth, we have a responsibility to get into our Bibles and figure it out. Uh, a, couple, well, a couple weeks ago in Bible study, we read um, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, that said, um, Long ago God spoke many times in many ways to our ancestors, to the prophets, and now in these final days he has spoken through his Son. And so when we think about God's Word, some people are like, well, well how is it all God's Word? I thought it's man's Word and this and that. No, well, God used men. He spoke through men to create his Word. You know, you have the Old Testament, which was God speaking through prophets, you know, and writing all these things down, you know, throughout the Old Testament. We have the Gospels, which Jesus teaches us directly. And then we have, like, from, you know, 
Acts, Romans, and all them that were written not by Jesus. They were written by the apostles. And, and there were these were, we have all these letters of the apostles that, that we have in our Bible that we take as God's word. And so th- this question comes up, like, well, how do, we, how do we take a letter that a man named Paul or a man named John or a man named Peter or a man named James, why do we take that and say that this is now God's word? Well, it's because of, partly because of verses like verse 6. Listen to what he says here. Amazing claim. John says, but we, he's speaking of him and the, and the apostles, belong to God. And those who know God listen to us. If they do not belong to God, they don't listen to us. That's how we know if someone has a spirit of truth or the spirit of deception. So John makes this claim that it's only those that listen to our teaching, that hear to our teaching, that have the spirit of truth. That anybody else that neither holds to our teaching or teaches something that's contrary, they are outside of, of God's camp and they have the spirit of Antichrist. That is an amazing claim for them to make, isn't it? I mean, he, he is claiming to have the authority of God himself. How could he make this claim? One commentator says this, if, if this were a mere individual talking, the claim would be presumptuous, but it's not. This is one of the apostles citing the collective testimony of all the apostles and making that testimony the measure of truth and sound doctrine. And the amazing thing is, is John's not just saying this on his own authority. He's saying this by the authority that Jesus himself gave the apostles. For instance, we, we often look at the Great Commission as our, as our responsibility, and it is. But Jesus, in the presence of these, apostles, the, uh, of these apostles, the first thing he said was, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go. So he says, I have all authority, I'm transferring authority to you. What I came to do is now your job. You have my authority going behind you, go. John 17 and verse 18, Jesus speaking to his father again. As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. John 20 and verse 21, peace be with you, he says, as the father has sent me, so I am sending you. And so the the reason that the writings of the apostles are considered to be God's word is because Jesus gave them his authority to write it. And we can hold on to these things. And so when it comes to what we believe in all our doctrine and what's amazing about it is Romans and Galatians and, and John and all these different books, they really define, they're, they're like the commentary on the, all the teachings of Christ about what he taught and who he was and, and, and who was true nature. And, I mean, we find that really from all the epistles. And so it's so important, John says here, that, that, that you need to hold to what we wrote, to what we said, because we have the definition of who Christ truly was. And think about it. Would we even know the true identity of Christ had it not been for John and the other apostles if they had written it? No. We wouldn't have known. Pretty amazing. Now, so our Bible is where truth is found, so then we have to ask ourselves, well, which part is the most important? I mean, all of it's important, right? But, but he makes a, a claim here that the most important thing, the most foundational thing, is that people believe the true nature of Christ. He says here that they, if they believe and, and, and say that Christ was a man, that he came in human flesh, they have the Spirit of God behind them. But if they don't, they have the Spirit of Antichrist. Now, again, contextually, these people were being taught that 
yes, Jesus was God, but he wasn't man. And so the, the assumption was already that he was God. But the point is, both of them are equally important. It's not just that, that Jesus was God is the most important thing. That's obviously important, but it's equally important that he was human, that he was fully divine and fully man. Why? Because of what we learned the other night in Bible study in Hebrews chapter 2. Listen to Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. He says, Because God's children are human beings, made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood, for only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil, who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to fear of dying. He says in verse 16, we also know that the Son did not come to help the angels. He came to help the descendants of Abraham, which were humans, right? Therefore, it is necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God, and then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. If Christ, here's why John was making this point. If Jesus did not come as a man, if he in fact was not human, then salvation couldn't exist because God can't die. Right? God can't die. And so it was absolutely necessary for Christ to come as a human to be tested, as Scripture says, like we are, and yet he didn't sin so that in his death he could provide atonement or for forgiveness for all of us so that we could be saved. So he had to come as a human for the simple point that he had to be able to be tempted, he had to be able to die so that his death mattered and provided salvation. But equally important is the fact that he was fully God. But because he was fully God, because he came, not just fully man, but fully God, he, he didn't have the curse of sin, right? He, he came from, the, from his, the outset of conception. He was absolutely pure, absolutely perfect, so that when he died, he was able to raise us up to the standard of perfection that we needed to be because he is God. And his righteousness was accredited to us as God's people. And so both of these truths are absolutely essential. And he goes on to talk about, you know, about the truth about Jesus. It's not just the fact that he was a human. It's the whole truth about Christ. Now, Satan doesn't always work in the obvious, like I said. And so part of the reason that he does what he does is to twist, to confuse and, and this was going on for sure in, in, in the first century church because of passages like 2 Corinthians 11, verses 1 through 4, where Paul says this. He, he says this to the church at Corinth, I hope you will put up with a little more of my foolishness. Please bear with me, for I am jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself. I promised you as a pure bride to one husband, which is Christ. He says, but I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. You happily put up with whatever someone tells you, even if they preach a different Jesus than the one we preach or a different kind of spirit than the one we received or a different kind of God gospel that um, the one we believe in. He goes on a few verses later and he says these people teaching these things are false apostles. They are deceitful workers who disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. He says, but I'm not surprised because even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no wonder that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. My point is this. We have the truth of God's Word. We have exactly who the Bible says Jesus was, Jesus is, what he did, what we need to do to respond to that, right? But can I tell you something? Satan is cunning. 
He is the great deceiver for a reason. He is good at what he does. He has been deceiving people for centuries. People, I can guarantee you, that were far more knowledgeable and far more spiritually mature than any of us. I'm just saying. And so, it's great that we have the Word of God, but that's not all we have. See, God knew that we needed something else. We have His Holy Word, but we also have His Holy Spirit indwelling us as His people. Look at verse 4. He says, But you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over those people because the Spirit who lives in you is greater than the Spirit who lives in the world. See, when, when Satan's messengers come and try to deceive God's people by distorting the revealed truth of God's Word, the amazing thing that God has given us is this. We have this internal alert system that starts flashing red lights inside of our body and goes, lie, neener, 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 right? I mean, it's just like there's something wrong here. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever listened to somebody, heard something, read something, you're just like, that's just not right. There's just something here that's just like, mm, take a step back and you better look at this again. That's the Spirit of God inside of us. See, when the, when the Bible says that our responsibility is to discern truth from lies, it, it's not talking about just some random inner voice. It's talking about the indwelling Holy Spirit of God that, that gives us that alert that says this is a lie. This is false. This person's saying this. There's something off. And, and the beautiful thing is, is that verse 4 tells us the spirit that is in us is greater than the spirit who is in the world. See, as strong as the spirit of Antichrist is in propagating lies, guess who's stronger? The Holy Spirit. So no matter how great the deceit, we have a greater truth living within us if we will actually pay attention. John 16 and verse 13, Jesus said, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. And so since that is true, since the Holy Spirit is that alert system that goes off, doesn't it make sense that we better make sure that we are connected with the spirit of God rightly and, and listening and alert to when he's speaking? Now, now I'll say this. The Spirit of God is the Spirit of truth that He will teach us the things that we have learned, right? This is necessary. You can't just throw this in the corner and let it collect dust and then expect the Spirit of God to send out the alarm, right? It, it, it works in conjunction with God's Word. We absolutely need both. So we need the Word of God, but we also need the Spirit of God to speak. So 1 Thessalonians 5.19 tells us to do not restrain or stifle or quench the Holy Spirit. So then comes the question, well, how does one stifle the Holy Spirit or quench the Holy Spirit? If the Holy Spirit is that alert system inside of us, how do we restrain that? Well, we don't want to, right? But the way we do it, one, is through ignorance. Ignorance of God's Word. If we don't have God's Word, it's going to be really hard for the Spirit of truth to reveal truth from lie if we don't know the truth, Right? And so, so one way is through ignorance. One way is through sin. I mean, just think about it logically. We believe in a triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, right? And so if sin, as we've seen through the book of 1 John, if sin removes us from intimate fellowship with God, what do you think it does to the Holy Spirit inside of us? It, it inhibits that relationship 
as well. And if we're not adhering to the Spirit of God, guess who we're adhering to? The Spirit of the world, right? The Spirit of Antichrist that is deceiving. Romans 8, 5 says, Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. Which again, I go back to Galatians five sixteen. This is why it says, Let the Holy Spirit guide your lives so that you will not do what your sinful nature wants you to do because sin breaks that relationship. And when we're not in the light, guess what? That alert system is not going to go off. So we have to make sure we're connected to the Spirit. Another way that we can quench or stifle the spirit is simply by not taking time to listen. We live busy lives. We have so much going on. And one of the greatest tools I believe Satan has in his handbook is to just simply keep us too busy to focus on God. I've said this often, God gave us two ears and one mouth. And that should tell something about prayer. We should listen as much as we speak. When it, when it comes to the Spirit of God, we, we need to learn His voice and learn when it's Him speaking. We need to, time to take time to quiet ourselves long enough that we can hear that still, small voice as Scripture talks about it. We have to take time to, to allow that to take place. And really the last thing I would say is that the last way that, that, that somebody is not going to hear that inner alarm system from the Spirit of God is simply because they're not connected to the Holy Spirit at all. At all. The Holy Spirit comes after salvation. After somebody hears the truth about the true Jesus and the true gospel, that the Son of God came as a man, lived a perfect sinless life, went to a cross, died, and rose again. And based on what Christ has done, salvation has been offered to all of us. And we will, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is the Lord, believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved right? That's the true gospel. That's the true message. And if people haven't believed in that Jesus and that message, responded to that gospel by confessing their sin and turning to Christ in faith and making him Lord and Savior, they don't have the Holy Spirit. And it's impossible for them to hear the lies because they're already controlled by the spirit of untruth, which is the spirit of Antichrist. Friends, we live in a world where there is a lot of noise and a plethora of lies. There are people everywhere doing the same thing the false prophets of John's day were doing, spewing lies, spewing lies and attempting to deceive many. And the problem we read about here is, is alive and well in our world today. The only difference is that the people today have unlimited access to the world. I mean, think about that. These people in John's day, they didn't have the internet, they didn't have telephones, they didn't have publishers. They didn't have Amazon books and everything else that people read. People today, the one person can get famous and spew lies to the entire world. So we have to be on guard. Between books, TV, radio, the internet, people have access to people's ears all over the place. What does this mean? It means that we need to be aware as we, as we can to, the, to this reality and make sure that the Spirit is unhindered in our lives. Because this is the reality, make sure we do all we can to stay as connected to God as possible. And we also need to make sure that because all these lies are going out, guess who is the only defense against those lies? That would be you and me. So not only do we need to be connected with the Spirit of God, we need to go out and share the truth. Because only when the truth is shared will the lies be exposed. This is the reality of our world, 
And yet, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And so let's walk in the victory that this book says we already have. And let's make a difference for the Lord. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this day and for this time, for your word, for um, this challenge. Um, God, I pray this has given us all just a different perspective about Satan's goal and, and why he has these people in the world that he does, Lord. And I just pray that we would be aware, Father, that we would not um, be, be, be caught just asleep, Father. We would not be um, just distracted um, by the things of the world, by the busyness of life, that we allow these lies to infiltrate us or our family, Lord God, or even our, our friends and our loved ones, Father. But let us be a, a, a beacon of truth, a beacon of light, Father. Let us, let us be people who are connected to you, people who know the truth and share the truth, Father, so that through us, through our witness, God, the lies can be exposed and people can come truly to faith in the true Christ and the true gospel. And God, just Use us, empower us, strengthen us, God, and give us the grace to live for you. And as he sings in Christ's precious name, amen. Amen. Um, as we close, we're just going to sing.